Amen. Good morning, church family. Today we'll start a new sermon series, and I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, but we just started a new sermon series in 1 Kings, right, Pastor T? Well, I gave you an overview of 1 Kings, but that was not where I was planning on staying. I'm planning on staying for the duration of the winter and into the spring. We'll probably switch gears again early summer in the book of Genesis. That makes sense in January, right? To start where it all started, the beginning of all things. So uh, if you're unfamiliar where Genesis is, so if you open your Bible, it's page one. So you can just find it right there. If you're just scrolling through, there it is, right at the very, very beginning. Uh, and I, uh, I wanted to give you that overview of First Kings. It's just a, that narrative has gripped my heart, and that may be what we go to this summer. So I may go ahead and prime the pump for that. We may do a series in First Kings over the summer. But for now, we're going we're gonna to do a series here in Genesis. Genesis has some nice natural divides. I'll talk more about this and unpack this in just a minute. But uh, chapter 1 through 11, sort of the first half of the book, is one section. And then the second section uh, is going to cover the patriarchs, Abraham and the covenant, and forward. So, um, so yeah, so this is going to be, this is going to be a kind of a critical study. Now, let me, let me make a couple of very strong statements about the book of Genesis, because I really want to hone in why this book is so critical and important. First statement is this. We cannot understand, there are 66 books in the Bible, right? We cannot understand the remaining 65 books of the Bible without Genesis as the foundation. Okay, like they're not understandable. All right. I come from a family of builders, come from a line of builders. And I I don't know if you know this or not. If you're not from a line of builders, let me let me give you a little way you can tell if a foundation's bad in a structure or a building. If you're thinking about buying a house or buying a building and you look at the roof line at the very top, if you see a sag in the roof line, okay, what that indicates is that there is severe structural damage. Most likely the foundation is damaged and is broken and sagging. And you're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Because what's up top and what you see reveals what's truly happening at the foundational level. And it could be crumbling and breaking at places. And I think what we're having now in our society is we have a lot of folks that have a very damaged foundation that they built their life on. And the part that you see above it is... Uh, crumbling, right? And, and there's a sag in the roof, right? And there's a sag in the roof of the worldview. World and so we want to make sure we understand the foundation that our faith is built on, all right? So that's, that's critical and that's important. And also, for today's sermon, why this is so important today, and here's what I want you to do. All the boys and girls, children, if you're preschool up, you can read this morning. We're going to read these passages together that we're going to look at this morning. If I even get to it all, probably not going to get to it with this introduction sermon today. But these words we're going to read here in just a minute are some of the most important words ever written in the history of human and mankind. Okay. So with that in mind, let's now look and turn our attention to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible, it's available for you on the screens to my right and to my left. And here's what the Word of God says. Let's, let's read this all together, okay? One, two, three, let's go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the faces of the waters. Amen. May God have blessing to the reading of His holy, inerrant, infallible Word. And I pray He writes this truth on all of our hearts, because the grass withers 
flowers fade, but say it with me if you know it, church. But the word of our God endures forever. All right. Genesis is, of course, a story of beginnings. The word Genesis is not actually the title of it in the Hebrew Bible. Genesis is the Greek word used to describe the book of Genesis. It means origin. It's what was translated in the Septuagint when they brought it over, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek. The Hebrews and their selection of titles of books is very similar to how I do my sermon title selection. You know how creative I am. There's times that we preach on Sunday morning and the title of my sermon is just simply a snippet of the actual text I'm preaching because I'm not that creative. I can't come up with 52 titles every year, year in, year out for 30, 40 years. And so in a similar fashion, the the name of this book in Hebrew is the first word of the book, which in this particular case means is in the beginning, right? So that's what the Hebrew word means. It's the title of it, all right? So Genesis is a place where origins, beginnings start. It's the start of all things. Uh, It's the start of the first things. It tells us about creation. It tells us about our first parents. It tells us about the fall and the entrance of sin into the world and how that immediately affected our relationship with God. It tells us of judgment and of salvation that is coming. It tells us of the origin of the nation of Israel. It tells us about the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, of course, Joseph, who has an exorbitant amount of chapters given to him at the end of the book. Genesis is also not just about first things, but it's also about last things. I don't know if you've ever thought about Genesis this way, but many times how things begin point to and indicate how they'll end. Did you know that? So the beginning of the human race is not just telling us this, it's pointing to the end, the day when... Things unravel. The beginning of creation doesn't just point to us and tell us about the earth and how it was made, but it points to the second earth that is coming. The creation of Adam, the first human being, does not just point to Adam alone, but points to the new Adam that will come, namely Jesus Christ. Creation points to the new creation. The heavens that are made and mentioned in these verses point to the new heavens and the new earth that will come creation of light, which is in verse 3 in Genesis chapter 1, speaks and points us to the ultimate light that is shining, which is Christ Jesus in the gospel. Now, we have the distinct advantage as 21st century Bible readers and church uh, covenant folks together of having the New Testament to look back in the gospel to see Genesis through. and We have that lens to see it through, and it's a great advantage and one we should be thankful for. So as I'm preaching through this, I will, of course, teach you what the Word of God says, how it, what, it, what it says, what it means, how it applies. But we also have the extra advantage of seeing the fulfillment of this in Christ Jesus. One writer, in speaking about Genesis, puts it this way. Genesis is, after all, the beginning of the revelation of the one who writes history from Alpha to Omega, who is the first and the last, who is the beginning and the end. Another wrote and said, in God's way of doing history, the last things are as the first things. Isn't that interesting? The last things are as the first things. So what we're, what we're stepping into today in Genesis, we're stepping into a treasure trove here in this passage. 
of, of the revelation of God's word, him revealing how things happened and what, what it took to make all that you see that is today. Now, they might, you might be sitting here today saying, but Pastor T, why not like Romans or Acts, and, which is basically Luke chapter, part 2, like why go into Genesis, right? Especially after you prepped us all and teased us with 1 Kings. Somebody, there were a couple of people who were like, I thought we were doing 1 Kings, right, because of the series that you did. The, I said, no, I, I told you, I was just doing an overview sermon. I said, we might do that this sermon, but, or this summer, but uh, Genesis is where I felt pulled, and we'll call this a, a a Holy Spirit pull to, to lead us in this direction. I've waited a long time to do this series at this church. I've been here nine years and just now getting around to doing the study in Genesis. And so this has been a long time coming and critically one that is coming. A little more information here. Uh, Bershit, by the way, was the Hebrew word for the book of Genesis, which means in the beginning. Bershit is the Hebrew word. You can go home today and say, Pastor spoke in tongues this morning. Hebrew and Greek does it all the time. So anyway, uh, there you go. So we speak in tongues and do it all the time. All right. Okay. Uh, just for the fun of it today, let's humor me for a minute. How many of you went to a secular university for your secondary education? Raise your hand. Secondary university for education. How many of you took, uh, they would call it either religion or history classes at secular university? Okay. Several of you. All right. Did you raise your hand, Bryson? Okay. <laughs> Did you raise your hand? You haven't been to a secondary. Let me know, though, when you get there. So here was my experience. Here was my experience, okay? I went to East Tennessee State, UT for one year, East Tennessee State for the other. Now, before I, before I tell you this, let me make the following premise clear, because we have some people here that work at ETSU. Not everybody at ETSU is a raging left-wing atheist who hates Christianity, all right? Uh, there, there's a lot of very godly people, particularly in the school of business and in the music school, that you will find there. Uh, what I found the most hostile group at East Tennessee State was in the philosophy department and the history department. Those were the departments that were very anti-Christian. And uh, so, you know, this is, I have a story at the very end about that. But if you take a philosophy class, or you take a history class at ETSU, here is what you will hear. You will hear from them. No one can prove the existence of anyone in the Bible prior to King David. Maybe you heard stuff like that when you were in school. I heard stuff like that. And then uh, they would and and for furthermore, there is no way that Moses could have written the book of Genesis. In fact, you know Moses is credited with writing the first five books of the Bible. Uh, we believe that they were written long after he died. That people just kind of scrapped them together. Now, let me say a couple things about this. That's called the JEPD theory or the document hypothesis theory. And that was espoused by some cranky German scholars in the 1800s. All right. That's who came up with this concept. It's been questioned heavily since then. And uh, I would say the following things. First of all, as a general rule, I don't usually trust cranky 1800 scholars of anything. But um, one of the best things to do here is look and see how the faith traditions have understood who wrote this because Genesis itself does not say who the author is. It doesn't say that anywhere. It's not like Paul's letters where it says, I, Paul, an apostle. You won't find that in Genesis. However, comma, there are a lot of indicators that tell us that Moses wrote this. For instance, we have 3,500 years of Jewish tradition which points back and says Moses did it. 
We also have 2,000 years of Christian tradition from the early church fathers forward who point back and say Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the first five books, the Pentateuch, uh, which are critically important to both the Jewish face and to ours. And let me just be very clear. I personally believe that Moses wrote Genesis without a doubt. Now let me tell you why. Moses uh, and his records here are mentioned in other sections of Scripture. So, first reason I believe Moses wrote this is because Old Testament prophets like Ezra and Ezra 6.18 reference the law of Moses. Okay? In addition to this, Malachi 4.4 also says this is the law of Moses. And that's just one of a dozen in the Old Testament prophets. So here's your choices. You can trust cranky 1800s scholarship in Germany, or you can trust Old Testament prophets as to who the actual author is. You make up your mind. I know who I'm going to side with, going with the prophets of the Old Testament, the other guys that wrote the Bible, okay? And those would be guys who actually would have been after King David, right? If you're trying to debunk the liberals there at ETSU. In addition to this, if that's not enough for you, okay, because some of you are still like, oh, sure, okay, fine, 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 fine. Jesus refers back to Moses as the author in the Pentateuch multiple times in the Gospels. Okay? Multiple times he does this. I'm just going to give you a few just to help you with this. Uh, but in John 5, 46, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. John 5, 46. So Jesus seems to be convinced that the Old Testament laws... All the way back here, which, by the way, first five books were actually written as one book in five parts. So if he's responsible for one part. Now, let me make one little clarification. There are obviously some sections that were edited after Moses. Like, for example, the narrative account of when Moses died obviously was not written by Moses, right? (laughs) Somebody else had to write that, okay? It was most likely Joshua who took command and edited those parts, right? I know that's crazy to think about. A guy can't write about his own death like that, but probably didn't happen. There's also some other little indicators, like to this day, it's like editor notes, like usually in quotations, particularly in the Hebrew, it's set off. To this day, this area is known as whatever. Probably some editorial notes that were added later. Uh, may not have been directly from Moses' hand, but doesn't change any of the meaning or the context. Uh, Jesus also, speaking to the Jews in John chapter 7, says, Moses gives you the law, and yet not one of you carries out the law. Again, referencing the fact that Moses did the body of work of the Pentateuch, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. He did all those books together as a whole. And then, of course, if that's still not enough for you, the apostles in the books of Acts say, and they credit the whole thing to him, when they say, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like him, who is from among the brethren and to whom you shall give heed to everything he says. Talking about Jesus, who of course is making reference to Moses, writing the first five books. So, Moses wrote the Pentateuch and the first five books of the Bible, all together. It is reaffirmed. Now, when did it happen? Well, most scholars believe around 1440 B.C., around the 15th century B.C. Okay, well that's great. That was great timing, wasn't it? Now, if I could just get Siri to give me an amen every now and then, if I could figure out, if you know how to do that. 
By the way, when I was in Memphis, did I share this with you all about call response preaching? You know, we had a lot more diversity in the Mississippi Delta uh, than we do here in the mountains of Northeast Tennessee, right? A lot more brothers were at the service and they all, all sit up front here encouraging each other as they preach. And one of the, one of the wonderful men that preached there, uh, African-American brothers say something true and all the other African-American brothers up front would go, one of them in particular, he'd go, my, 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 my brother, my, you know, so if you ever want to do that, when I say something real true, that would be encouraging to me. I would encourage you to do that. Don't make it weird and forced, right? Let it flow naturally. But, you know, if I get serious to do stuff like that, that'd be good. Anyhow. All right. Back to the sermon. Uh, so he's writing this while they're wandering in the wilderness. All right. And. They're getting competing narratives of creation. They're getting pagan competing narratives all around them of how the world began, how everything began. Localized gods with certain powers, fertility gods, bales, all these different things are surrounding them. Okay, And so that's why Moses sort of writes that. All right. And, and he was divinely inspired to do so, right? God is ultimately the author of Genesis, but Moses is the one he uses to put pen to parchment or whatever they use, quail feather to parchment. I'm not exactly sure exactly what he did, but whatever it was, utensil to paper, and he does that. Okay, so primarily the book breaks down into two parts real fast. First part is chapters 1 through 11. Chapter 1 through 2, creation account. 2 through chapter 2, the garden and the first couple, Adam and Eve. 3, fall judgment, salvation. 4, the immediate results of the fall Six through nine, the flood create the flood account, and then a creation and a new Adam, new creation, new Adam afterwards. Uh, chapter ten is the table of nations. Eleven is the tower of Babel and the, the Shunammites, which sets us up for Abraham. And then from chapters twelve through fifty, it's about the patriarchs and the history of the patriarchs. So we start with the call of Abraham from twelve to seventeen. Eighteen nineteen is about Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Twenty through twenty-two, Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. Right, that kind of triad there. Uh, 23 is about the death of Sarah. 24 is about the marriage of Isaac. 25, we have the death of Abraham and Ishmael's family line and how it carries on. 26 through 36, Isaac and his sons, and they focus on Jacob there. Um, which, by the way, I don't know if you have any friends named Jacob, but that name literally means heel catcher and um, kind of means like scoundrel in Hebrew is actually what it means. Like he's a, he's a little, he's a shyster, right? He kind of, and, and we see that in his life, right? He, he sold, he got his brother to sell him his birthright and, you know, trade all that around and his name sort of fits him, right? So I guess if you're pregnant right now, thinking about baby names, I probably wouldn't recommend Jacob to you, right? Because of what it actually means in Hebrew. But anyway, and if you're already named Jacob, then too bad, right? Then it's just, you're stuck with it. Just uh, don't live up to your name, I guess, is the, yeah, embrace who you are, right? Yeah. Uh, 30 through 31 here, Jacob meets, uh, or chapter 29, Jacob meets Rachel and Laban. And I can assure you, he was much happier to meet uh, Rachel than he was her father, right? So uh, you can read all about that. His wealth, 30, 31, and then chapters 35, death of Isaac, 36, Esau's family line. Then 30, 37 through 50 is primarily focused on one son of Jacob, and his name is, you might want to guess, Joseph. That's a lot of pages given to one person 
in the book of Genesis. Especially when you think as you're flipping through the book of Genesis, as you turn a page, you're turning hundreds of years of the history of creation. And he gets 37 through 50 about him. Okay, little editor's side note here. Uh, some of you are like, well, what, what's, what does, what's it say about, does it, does it talk about dinosaurs? I want to know, does Genesis talk about dinosaurs? That's what we and I'm sorry to disappoint you, but Genesis is not an exhaustive account of all that was created. It doesn't have everything in there uh, in every moment of human history. There would not be a book probably long enough to record that. So the short answer is no. It also doesn't talk about tacos. I hate to spoil that for you too. So there's no dinosaurs. There's no tacos in Genesis. But it doesn't mean they're not necessarily real or wonderful to think about, right? So anyhow. All right. Another word, so I've, I've said one word from the Hebrew here, that uh, Bashir, that, that's primary, you know, in the beginning. Another word here, uh, Tabat, which means genealogies, is another word that centers on that. And the book of Genesis is that we get a lot of genealogies. And some of you, as you're doing your Bible reading through the year, I hope you're doing that, by the way, uh, you are reading, you get the genealogy sections, and you just like glaze over and want to pass out because it doesn't mean much to you. But there's an emphasis here. Because we're seeing a thread of God's fulfillment and covenant in the genealogy. So it's critical and it's important there. So all that to say, to bring this plane around here towards the end. Pastor, why Genesis, right? All this information is great, but why? Well, I got three quick reasons here I want you to walk away and think about today. Um, First one is this. Genesis is vitally important because it provides a creation narrative for the Israelites which debunked the pagan myths of creation that were all around them. Okay? Uh, Bruce Walkie, who said the, the people of Israel at this time period needed to be cleansed from their pagan contamination. Isn't that interesting? They needed to be cleansed from their pagan contamination. The gods that, of the other nations were territorial, capricious, and intensely sexual. Genesis provides the nation of Israel with a God-centered theology of the one true God who is a sovereign creator who has brought all things into existence. And he is the sovereign Lord still. And I think that message needs to be heard today more than ever. Right? We need to hear this today. Second of all, Genesis is the foundation to the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament. I said this early on. I kind of give you a preview of this. But let's just play a fun game with me this morning. Okay? You like games? Grace, Baptist, you have it. Let's pretend like you're stuck on a desert island for the rest of your life, no chance of rescue. And you get to pick one of the 66 books to take with you to the island to read for the rest of your life. Which one would it be? I know. Second Chronicles. Right? No, no, no. Let me guess. I know. It would have to be Leviticus. That's the one you want, isn't it? Well, Leviticus for the rest of your life. What would you say? Come on, talk to me. John, that's a common one. A lot of people say John, right? That's good. I would be in agreement. I like John too. Any others? First Corinthians, okay. There you go. Romans is one you hear a lot. Some people say Romans. In the first summer, somebody said Psalms. I don't know if that was a good answer. Some say you could read the whole Bible in the book of Psalms. You might not think of Genesis, right? And yet, it's from Genesis, in particular the passage we're going to be looking at this fall and, and this winter and spring, 
This is where we, for the first time, have the framework to think about creation, fall, redemption. We get it from Genesis. We get the framework for the gospel from the book of Genesis. Uh, This is where we learn what work is. We learn what a marriage is. We learn the primary foundation of human relationships. We learn about the Sabbath day. It's here in these first few chapters that the promises of God, his pursuit of people will begin, right? It's here. It's right here in this foundational understanding. Genesis is the key to debunking myths that surround us, and which is my last point. Third reason that we should study Genesis, Genesis is the foundation to a Christian worldview. Here is the connection, right? Israel was in need of a worldview. We need to be reestablished in what the truth of the revealed God and all of his bigness and sovereignty is in Genesis chapter 1. It is a primary need. Think about this. Moses wrote Genesis as an apologetic for his people of his day. Do we have creation myths in our time? Do we, church? What's the most common creation myths that we have now that we run up against? Yeah. Evolutionary creation. We have evolutionary. We got Big Bang, which I still don't see how you get something out of nothing, right? If I push this over here in the front, right, there's a first cause and there's a reason it flips over and falls. This thing doesn't just flip over and fall unless we're on like 28 days haunted or something like that, right? But even then we're attributing some kind of paranormal activity to it, right? There's a reason why things happen, right? There's a a first cause. I want to close with an illustration here. Remember what I said about ETSU? There's wonderful godly people. It's not like everybody's like this, but there are a few like this. I have a minor in history from that school. And I took a lot of history classes there, way more than I really wanted to, but I did. And I remember we were taking world history, okay, first day of world history in this class. I don't remember the professor's name, I'd love to remember it, but I remember this interaction we had, and here's how it went. First day in class, professor says, how many of you in here claim to be preacher boys that are called into the ministry? Raise your hand. Now, you got to remember, you're not sitting in a small group or a Sunday morning worship service or a Sunday school class at Grace Baptist Church. You're sitting at a secular university. You're sitting in a classroom with a professor who doesn't believe Scripture. You're sitting in a classroom that if you raise your hand here, it will affect your grade. And so about three of us sheepishly raise our hand in the back. Well, I just want you fellows to know. I pride myself on the fact that I've, that I've been responsible for five men who have been called to ministry for recanting that call. And I think most of them have even renounced the faith. And he prided himself on that. So the lecture went on. The point of that, I'm not sure, but that was his little, you know, notches on his belt he was after. Well, after it was over, you know how I am. I can't often just let things like that slide, Right? So I uh, wait for him, and I walk with him out to the parking lot. It was an evening class, and we're walking out through there. It's beginning to get dusky dark. Stars are beginning to come out. It almost sounds like a romantic thing, doesn't it? <laughs> it wasn't romantic at all, I can assure you. Whatever the opposite of romantic is is what it was. Uh, I don't think he, he was that thrilled with me walking with him out there to the car. And I said, you know, I'm one of those guys that raised his hands like, yeah, I saw you. You know, he wasn't really impressed. And I was like, listen... You know, I was like, 
well, how did you arrive at this conclusion? He's kind of sharing with me he was in, raised in church, and I think stuff happened to him. I was like, okay, that's fine. And then finally, he, he get, we get to his car, and, and I can tell he, he's just like kind of done talking to me. He don't want to talk to me no more. But look, what, what do you want? Like, what do you want? What are you after here, right? Because I'm not trying to be hostile to him. This is not a Ray Comfort situation where it's like hostile evangelism. I'm trying to ask him. I'm trying to understand his thinking because a lot of times I want to understand what people are thinking before I try to address and correct them. And I want to understand his thinking to know where, where to deal with him at, right? And I said, and when he said, all right, what do you want? What are you after here? I said, I want to know where this came from. And he looked at me all confused and said, this? I said, yeah, this. This right here. That up there. Those mountains over there. That skyline there. Those stars in the sky up there. Where did this come from? Where did the matter that makes the cells that make you up come from? Where did the stuff that makes your car, you're getting ready to drive home into your house that was constructed out of materials that people found here on this earth, where did all that come from? And he just paused. And I couldn't see real well. It looked like he had a tear in his eye, but I couldn't say with 100% certainty. He just paused and he looked at me. He looked at the ground for a minute. And he looked up at me and he said, I don't know. And I thought, you know, for a man who is so competent to debunk and turn people away from the Lord, that's a big question mark to leave unanswered, isn't it? No idea where any of this came from, right? I think deep down he knows, right? Listen, we answer questions here. You know, liberals can't figure out why conservative Bible-believing churches still are around because liberal Christianity tries to strip Christianity of the Bible and of its belief system and worldview and make church about doing nice things for other people. That's not really what church is about, right? That's what liberals think church is about. That's not what church is about. Church is about answering big questions, right? It's about believing the gospel. It's about following Christ. And from that flow good deeds, but those are the first things, right? No, no, no. Only Genesis can answer in a satisfactory way, what is the nature of reality? What, what is the nature of the metaphysical? What is the nature of being or existence? I mean, does it really comfort those who believe in a fictitious uh, creation narrative that there was just a magical boom? And then by, ha- by random happen circumstances, a group of molecules arrange themselves into a cell and then one day eventually organize themselves up well enough to make a human body? Is that what you tell yourself in the morning? Does that bring you great comfort when you're combing your hair thinking, I'm just a random accident? Does that comfort you? And I'm not talking about like family accidents where you're like the one kid that wasn't planned. I'm not talking about that, right? Because we know you weren't, you weren't really an accident, sweetheart, right? We know. I'm talking about a cosmological accident, a big accident. Who can live under a structure like that? And I would argue no one in a meaningful manner. Because if that collapses, if that's true, there is no standard of morality. There is no creator God. 
and there is no accountability to that Creator God, if there is no end in the beginning as we've seen here in Genesis, then there is no reason that Adolf Hitler was wrong in the 1930s in Poland, right? Because here's what happens. When you hold, when you hold that kind of a worldview and you think everything's a random happenstance circumstance, this is the logical conclusion of that kind of thinking. This is what that foundation leads to. This is the sag in the roof. Here's the sag in the roof. How do you determine what's right and wrong? Whatever the consensus of the people of the day say. Well, what was the consensus of the people of the day in 1934 in, in, in Germany and Poland? Huh? What was it, church? Kill the Jews and take their stuff. That's what the bulk of people were okay with, right? No, that's not right. Those people were made in the image of God. Murder is wrong because God has said so, and we will give an account to him. Or in, in Africa... If you were in Rwanda in 1994, the consensus of most of the people was if they have a narrow nose and their skin tone is lighter, murder them with a machete. That's what the bulk of the people in Rwanda said. Why? Because we're all random happenstance accident anyway. No, that's a crumbling foundation that life and society cannot be built on, friends. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. What about you? What do you believe today? Do you believe Genesis? Do you believe the most important words in the beginning? Or have you bought into some pagan myth? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you. We thank you for a text like this. God, we need this foundational, critical text. We know, left under our own devices, we will tear one another apart, Lord, we will believe the most far-fetched wayward things. And God, we need Genesis right now. We need it to defend the gospel. We need it to bring the truth to those that are around us who are far from you, Lord. And if there's any here that within the sound of my voice online or here today who have not trusted you, God, will you, will you lead them to yourself now? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to be in the back if you're here today and you've never trusted this God that we read about today, that in the beginning you don't know him. Won't you take care of that now, right? Won't you commit yourself to that now? Or if you're here today and you just want to thank him for all that he's made and all that he's done, and you just want to praise him, because, you know, here's the thing. For Christians, I love what Danny Aiken says, the best thing about being a believer in Christ and about this creation narrative and the God we serve no matter what your situation is today, our best days are always ahead as believers. Do you, you believe that? That's the truth. Our best days are always ahead because the end's in the beginning. And if God made it, he will see that work through. If you want to praise his name for that, you can do so while we sing. Please stand.